0: Oh Reading from Srimad Bhagavatam, 3, Chapter 32 entitled Entanglement in Fruit of Activities, Text 3. Tatrayaka So <coughs> i Fathers, Shradaya, yeah. with reverence, Atranta, overcome, Mati, Mati, his mind, Petrir, to the forefathers, Deva, yeah. to the demigods, Raka, his vow, Puman Puma, the person, Gatwa. The moon. moon. Locum, planet. Planet. Soma, Drinking Soma juice. Puna, again. Again. Ishiti, real Translation and purport by His Divine great Sri A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami, Sri Prabhupada. Such materialistic persons. Attracted by sense gratification and devoted to the forefathers and demigods, can be elevated to the moon where they drink an extract of the solar juice of the solar plant. They again return to this plant. Please repeat. Such materialistic persons, Such materialistic attracted by sense gratification, and devoted to the forefathers and demigods, can be elevated to the moon where they drink an extra of the Soma plant. They again return to this planet. Should Prabhupada's purport? The moon is considered one of the planets of the heavenly kingdom. One can be promoted to this planet by executing different sacrifices recommended in the Vedic literature, such as pious activities in worshiping the demigods and forefathers with rigidity and vows, but one cannot remain there for a very long time. Life on the moon is said to last 10,000 years according to the calculation of the demigods the demigod's time is calculated in such a way that one day 12 hours is equal to 6 months on this planet. It is not possible to reach the moon by any material vehicle like a Sputnik, but persons who are attracted by material enjoyment can go to the moon by pious activities. In spite of being promoted to the moon, however, one to has to come back to this earth again when the merits of his words in sacrifice are finished. This is also confirmed in Bhagavad Gita 9 21. Tetam Bhuktwa Swarga Lokam Vishalam, Kshine Pune Marty Lokam Vishalati. Omadhyana Timidandasya Kilanjana Asmai Shri Gurabhi Namaha Jai Shri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhulitinanda Shri Adwaiti Viradhar Shri Vasari Kaurapakta Vinda Hare Krishna Hare Krishna 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 Hare 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 Rama Hare Rama 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 Hare Hare Vanchu raja, pati namo namah such materialistic persons attracted by sense gratification and devoted to the forefathers and demigods can be elevated to the moon where they drink an extract of the soma plant they again return to this planet Lord Kapila Dev and an incarnation of the Lord. He's a Shakti Vinsha Avatar, empowered incarnation. He's speaking here with his mother at their home. They're speaking there at home about these deep philosophical topics, and um, at the moment he's expounding on the entanglement in fruitive activities. Entanglement means to be. Uh, like in a snarl, matter, Entanglement in fruitive activities. And he's spotlighting he's a particular um, category of, uh, of people where it's more easy for them in the position they're in, the stage of life they're in, that they can become entangled in fruitive activities. So he's talking about ashram that he himself is in. He's one of the sons, he's the son in the ashram, the child. Um, is the peer, she's the mother. He's talking about the household ashram. Householder ashram. And um, he's talking about within that category of the household ashram, there's subcategories. There's different types of householders. So he's uh, highlighting specifically here those who are what's called the grayhamedes, the sense gratifiers, and these sense gratifiers, what happens as a result of their uh, wanting to enjoy fruitive activities? Let's see, they become entangled, he says, in the fruit of activity. So, what's fruitive activity? The word fruitive, it means wanting to possess wanting to enjoy the fruits. And the kata Upanishad, it speaks very vividly about wanting to enjoy those fruits of one's activities. We do some work, we expend some energy, and we want to possess the results and just grab all the results for ourselves because we feel we're, we're entitled to the results. So Kata Upanishad gives this very beautiful analogy of the two birds on the tree. You know, one bird is uh, the Lord in his form as Paramatma. He's right there in the hearts of all living beings. And the other bird um, is us, the Jiva Atma and the Paramatma. So one bird is partaking of the fruits of the tree, fruited, the fruits. And the other bird is observing. He's just there, silent and forbearing, very forbearing. He's observing. So the other one is partaking of the fruits. He's engaging in fruitive activities because he doesn't even want to share. He's taking the fruit by himself and he won't even offer it to the person who created the fruit in the first place. That's the Lord, Paramatma. He doesn't want to share um, with the person from whom the fruit is coming or from anybody else. Indeed, there's like conflict. He's trying to grab everything for himself. And that's not nice. It's bad manners in the first place. It's not beneficial to him or anybody else because the world is made up, it's rigged up in such a way, the material world, that whatever actions we perform, whether they're physical, gross actions or subtle actions, there's always repercussions there's consequences we have to face. So his being so selfish, you know, and ungrateful, you know, very bad attitude, there's consequences. And so he becomes entangled in fruitive activities. Krishna's, um, he has installed certain uh, laws in the material world that whatever action we perform there's reaction, good and bad results. So, He's talking about these people who are prone. It's very easy for them to become entangled in these fruitive activities and the household the ashram. So the question might be asked, like, well, why isn't he also mentioning the other ashrams? Why is he just uh, focusing primarily on the household the ashram? So in one sense, the Lord is... Um, talking about everyone, regardless of their ashram, whatever ashram they're in. And um, he focuses, he draws attention mainly on the householder ashram as opposed to the other ashrams, because, well, we'll go into that later, why doesn't he uh, address this or direct this to, let's say, the Brahmacharya ashram or the caste ashram? or the sannyas ashram? Why is he he picking on Grehastas? He's talking previously about the attraction between man and woman, married life. It's like a deep, dark well you can fall into it and plunge to your death. You know why? Why is he he discriminating against that ashram? Should we avoid it like a plague? Uh, Why not these uh, other ashrams? Well, in these other ashrams, They have a responsibility more to the societal family, the communal family, and they're nurturing themselves to be of benefit to everyone. And they're learning a lot about self-discipline and the way these different ashrams are structured. There's less opportunity in the first place to fall into sense gratification. You know there is a saying, morality um, means lack of opportunities. One might think one is very moral and virtuous in the absence of opportunities. But if opportunities arise, one, one's mecca will be tested, one's virtue. So that's why the sage, he's telling, the sage who gave the blessings to the prince, the brahmachari, the saint, and so on. He told the brahmachari, Or you can die now because you are leading a disciplined life, regulated, following very nicely religious principles. You can die now and you'll go back home, back to Godhead. No problem for you. Then he tells the saintly person, perhaps like somebody who's in Vanakras or sannyas, ashram, like you live, you die. Wherever you go, it will be auspicious for you. You live, you die. So he does... um, here we are seeing that they have, in one sense, less responsibility to others. And Lord Kapila Day, he's focusing more on the Grihastha Ashram because it has so many responsibilities. So many responsibilities. That's why Arjuna was concerned about the future of the householders. And that's why he was hesitating to fight also. In the Gwehastha Ashram, they're the ones, they're the people who actually create society. They shape society. The mother, the father, they're the first teachers, the first gurus. They're the ones who help to mold the moral character, the spiritual character of um, their dependents. And it's such an important ashram. But Lord Ishabadeev, he's telling his sons, he goes so far as to say that one should not be a guru, a parent, a mother, a husband, Um, a king should not have dependence if one cannot deliver them from the cycle of birth and death. So Lord Kapilade, he's pointing out it's very, very important to have a proper consciousness when you're in charge of like these family units. Who are the future, the future of society, the future of the world, um, and because in this ashram there's so much responsibility, you have to take the, the lives of people are in your hands, like physically, psychologically, and so on, one has more facilities. One has more facilities, one has more facilities, but how will one use those facilities? So he's talking about that. There's this subcategory of people. They have the facilities and uh, certain licenses for sense gratification, and how will they use it? So he's showing that if you use those facilities properly, then it's beneficial to everyone. Like we see the example of Bhakti Vinod Kur. He was a family person. Um, you know, he had, like, him. He was a magistrate and yet <clears throat> he was able to sustain his Krishna consciousness so much that he was an inspiration to his family. He had a very nice relationship, um, a very loving relationship, like sometimes his son, Dr. Siddhanta Saraswati, so would kid him and joke with him. You are so I don't know, says grandfather, how many children we have, we have a big family. But he he admired his father so much. He would read all his books and imbibe the teachings readily, and he was always at, at the beck and call of his father. He would um, he would support his father in every respect because the father was such a great devotee of the Lord. All the children, all the children were unique. All the children were Krishna conscious. So there's a nice example that Even in his job, his work as a magistrate, he would be able to resolve issues. Uh, very quickly and he was such a time regulator that even the British they would be impressed, they would be amazed at how he could accomplish it. They had great they had profound respect for him. So there there's that example of Bhaktivino to that you know, that, uh, that category of persons called the real grihasta and he's like a brahmachari grihasta or sannyas grihasta. As opposed to this type of category, the Greyhamidi, where they take all the facilities that are given to them and they're thinking they're the center of the household. Kapila Dev begins like they think, I'm the center of the household. And one can slip into the pollution mode. So Kapila Dev is warning against the perils of that, the perils of a great life. That one can think, well, I am the possessor, I'm the one working very hard, you know, I'm providing, I'm the provider, I'm the Purusha, I'm the enjoyer, and therefore I can uh, do whatever I want. So one goes into that mode of enjoyment, and one um, misuses all the facilities that one has. Examples I give of that in the scriptures also. We're seeing um, not just your generic jiva, any one of us, like you and me and Joe on the street, but even big, big personalities, very prominent personalities, they could slip their consciousness and they can go into that purusha mode of enjoyment, wanting to abuse the license that is given to them in that ashram and engage in wanton sense gratification. We see the example of a a fruitive worker like Ravana. He had everything, um, in opulence compared to us. You know, kingdom, wives, power, so much power he had. Uh, the demigods couldn't stop him. And he just he just um, engaged once in sense gratification. He became so bold and arrogant about it that he even wanted the goddess of fortune himself. He had fortune. He was given that. But one becomes greedy, one becomes very greedy and uh, covered by the mode of ignorance. So he wanted uh, the goddess personified and dared to kidnap her. So you're seeing what happens, one becomes entangled and one um, falls from grace. So Lord Kapiladeh, he's talking about that, that. Especially in the household ashram, we, it's very easy for us to become entangled in fruitive activities. Whereas in the other ashrams, one is not so concentrated, one is more dealing with society and the world and, be, and giving of oneself. One is practicing how to be selfless, the brahmachari is going out, you know, door to door, doing madhukari, madhukari. Uh, Devanapra is trying to free himself uh, for the benefit of, give of himself. What can I give to society? I want to give some little help people. The sannyasi, he is civilly dead, and his family now is the world. So that is very nice, and that is desirable. But the household, what happens, you see, when two people get together, and they fall in love, then society is a separate thing. It's more in the periphery. They come together, and they're always very close together, whispering in a corner, sitting down in a secluded place, and things become so concentrated. They're concentrating on each other. It's you and me. I love you, and you love me. And one becomes very selfish and crevaceous. One becomes very insular. And so it's very easy to become selfish in that So he's talking about that, that one should actually guard against that. So another question might be raised by, according to the standards of the material, one might say, well, nothing's wrong with the people. Why are you so hard on them? I mean, I'm seeing families, some of them, they're law-abiding citizens, they're decent, they're responsible, they're providing for the family. And even for society in their own way, you know, they're recycling their stuff and all. They're politically correct in every sense. And uh, they're dutiful. They're doing their duties. So what's wrong with that? Nothing is wrong with that. Why are you only harping on this? And some people say that, you know, I get really turned off in a way sometimes, like it seems like I can never get to enjoy. But they don't know about enjoyment how um, there's so much enjoyment for the, in the positive spiritual alternative. So yeah, one might be wondering, this, this seems blameless. Like, what's your problem? There's no problem, actually. In the material world, there's different types of knowledge. There's relative knowledge in all its different forms, and one can always rationalize and try to justify one's behavior and show that I'm right. I'm, I'm properly situated. You know why you're trying to like uh, get me, lever me out of my uh, comfort zone? That's where the Bhagavatam comes in. It doesn't give you relative knowledge, and that's what Narada Muni was telling Rishabhi. That tell it like it is. Don't hide. You know, give pressure to the world. So Bhagavatam, what's unique about the Srimad Bhagavatam, it's not like all these other scriptures, the different Puranas and all the different uh, forms and fashions of scriptures where they're diluting the message or catering for every individual. Bhagavatam tells it like it is, it uncovers everything, reveals it to you. This is the highest knowledge. This is the highest standard. And why are you being so lazy? You can do better than that. You're glorious, oh spirit soul. You are glorious. You are so noble. You are so wise. I want you to be perfect. Kapila Deva is saying that I don't want you to settle for anything less. Why are you minimizing yourself? So Bhagavatam is saying that don't minimize yourself. You know, don't chew the chew. Puna, puna, don't chew the chew, spirit soul. So Bhagavatam is saying that in the Lord Rishabhade, he is, uh, Lord Kapinade, he is relentless. He is unyielding. as we're seeing throughout the different chapters. He's showing, this is you, spirit soul. This part of the Bhagavatam is not about Janna Kamaraj or some other great devotee. Bhagavatam has you in it. You're in the Bhagavatam at this point. What I hear is your light. Here is your life spirit soul. What do you want? What do you want? Do you want to stay in stagnation? Do you want to settle for less all the time and just minimize yourself? Tamasi ma, Jyoti get out of the darkness. Come into the light. So he's shining this torch and beaming. And one becomes dazzled because one's in the cave, you know, that darkness. It's like, don't shut up, light. you're squinting and it's so dazzling. So he's keeping that light there. (laughs) Come out, get out, spirit soul. So one cannot say, okay, we don't have the knowledge. If there's one book in the world, one scripture in the world, that's telling it like it is and the truth about you and a complete holistic truth about yourself, that work is a Shri But you know what It's mind-boggling. The knowledge is there. One can't say the knowledge is there. There's no excuse. The Sambanda is there. But what is mind-boggling I was thinking about is that we get the knowledge, and somehow it seems as though one is stuck, like you're glued to the spot, and you can't do anything about it. It's like a person who, uh, they're performing a certain type of behavior, and they get a result that's not beneficial. It's a negative result. In psychology, and know about that. And yet you repeat the behaviors, you it. Going on over and over again. We see that sometimes with crazy ants. They're moving, they're moving. We see them in Trinidad, they bigger size ants. And we call them crazy ants. When I saw that uh, title for the previous chapter, The Movements of the Living Entities, I was remembering the crazy ants, how they're moving. So you observe some of these creatures, especially those who are attracted to light, you know, and they're going, and sometimes they hit against the window pane and they come back again and shine and they trying And uh, the living entities like that because they have this boundless capacity for hope. I'm hoping, I'm hoping to enjoy, I'm here, and they're proclaiming it to themselves in the world. I want to enjoy, I want to enjoy. <laughs> we want to enjoy. So yes, it is quite astonishing that if one is in um, a certain mode where one's behavior, one's actions, you know, um, they don't change; they're just persisting and we're going on in this like inexorable cycle, which is self-defeating, it's self-destructive. Like, what is causing that? Why is it really and persisting to be in a? uncomfortable position, a position that's painful. Why? Why is he, it seems like he's mad, like this is a crazy person. And sometimes we point like, ha ha, oh I'm so sorry, this person's crazy, and you're making these repetitive movements, but actually the laugh is on us, because we really like that too. So Kapila Davis point out, he's using symbols like return, they, they can return again. They come back, they boomerang back, and then you go again. You're trying to, you're try to do some unfinished business, like it's said in the Brahma Samhita. like even with devotees, we know the philosophy, and yet somehow we're thinking, at least me, like I do have some unfinished business here. I would have liked to do this and that, but time is against me, or I, I can't get this out of my system. I really need to do this and that. That's why Kapila Dev shows that people come back and they take the gender of the person they're attached to. Like a man can come back as a woman and um, vice versa. And then the Brahma Semite talks about we have these previous impressions of enjoyment. And then the Lord, he facilitates that and he lets us resume our activities in the next life. And then one might wonder too, well, why does the Lord do that? He knows it's not good for us. He's our mission. Why is he allowing us and facilitating that desire? But Krishna's desire is there. It's always there. And it's strong. But our desire at that moment, at that point in time, is even stronger. I want it. I tell you, I want it. I must have it. So our desire overrides Krishna's desire, it's overriding his desire, it's so strong. And then what happens is that love we have for Krishna when we get what we want is explained, that love, it changes, it changes into must. Now that love originally is very strong, Prema, love of God. It's there, it can never go. It's a bit in abeyance in the condition state. But <clears throat> it's so strong. So when that strong prema is transformed into lust, the lust is very strong. The lust is very, very strong. Maybe just as strong as the love. So that lust, it, it just bewilders us. That's why. With this question that's so mind-boggling, why would someone want to repeat an action that's unbeneficial to themselves and others? And Arjuna he asks, he says, "Atarhe na prayupto yam papam charati punarsha anichan api varshneya balat eva niyogita." Yeah, he's wondering about Arjuna, the descendant of Vishnu, Krishna. By what is one impelled to sinful acts even unwillingly, as if engaged by force? There's some perverseness that's within us. Oh, I'll do it again, I know I hit my head the last time, but I'll try again and I'll make a determined effort, as if engaged by some force that's moving us. What is that force? The Supreme Personality of Godhead said it is lust only, Arjuna which is born of contact with the material mode of passion. So we want that uh, happiness, it's in the mode of passion. And happiness, it seems so inviting, so alluring. Yes, I'll be happy, we'll enjoy, me and my family, we will enjoy. But you know happiness in the mode of passion, it seems like nectar in the beginning, but it's poison in the end. So you see, it's lust only. Born of the mode of passion, and later transformed into wrath, which is the all-devouring, sinful enemy of the world. And in the purport, Sri Aurobindo says that therefore lust is the greatest enemy of the living entity. That lust, our greatest enemy. I mean, not that lust comes in different forms; it doesn't necessarily mean sexual at all because that lust resides in different parts of the the body, the mind, the senses, the intelligence. So he says, therefore, lust is the greatest enemy of the living entity, and it is lust only which induces the pure living entity to remain entangled. That word, entangled. The pure living entity to remain entangled in the material world. And we know there's a progression you're seeing, you're contemplating, you like what you see, you want it, you desire it very intensely. Lust comes from observation, contemplation on the object of the senses. And when one's uh, desire to uh, possess is thwarted, then the wrath comes about, which is a manifest- manifestation um, of the mode of ignorance. So anyway, yes, that's the answer, it's lust. And um <clears throat> Kapilin, he's unsparing and he's showing, he's showing here, he's not uh, having any qualms about giving us the truth, the fact of the matter. He's saying, don't get into that mode of life, that family life. He's in himself, he's from an exemplary family, where his father, before he even took to Greyhasta life, Hardama he was performing austerity. So his consciousness, he could have proper consciousness to be in householder life and not to abuse or um, exploit the facilities that he was going to have to be given. That he would be very sober and he would be able to sustain his Krishna consciousness. So his father was exemplary. You know, he prepared himself by engaging in devotional service. And when the time t- to leave the ashram, the time came to leave the ashram, he set the example, of although the Lord Himself was there in the ashram. He left and he made sure, he was a responsible uh, householder, that his wife is properly taken care of by no other than Lord Kapiladev. So Lord Kapiladev, he's setting the example. He's not just preaching or prating, but he's setting the example. He, he set the example of not, being a, not only being a perfect teacher, but being a, a perfect child in a household life. He was a very responsible, dutiful son, and he's illustrating how to give proper protection to the parents, how to take care of them in their retirement. Because we know like, that the wife, the lady, <coughs> She's always in a position where, in Vedic life, the Vedic Vedic world, done, she always needs some support. There's always some support, some uh, protection for her there, in the background or the foreground. That the lady, she's protected by her father when she's young, then by her husband, and then by her son. And he, Kapiladev, he is illustrating what is real protection not just uh, taking care of the psychophysical needs of the parent, but discussing topics like this, sitting down and reading together, discussing, um, sharing one's realizations. So this is an essential part of this shelter, this protection that's being given to each other. <coughs> so we, um, we talked about the sense gratifiers, the Graham, and our Kapila Devi is showing, really like, don't go in that direction. Continue along in Krishna consciousness. And we you know even in Krishna consciousness, if one's faith is not strong, then it affects one's practice. So, what's one to do? How one can really go back to where one really belonged? We're hearing about going back here, returning. So the rail returning, the rail coming back, is going back from lust to love of God, going back to one's original nature, love of God. So what to do? um, What's to be done? How one can go back? Uh, Well, what does Srila Prabhupada say about that? He says, we can do that, by taking to the practice of Krishna consciousness, being in the association, association is very influential. It's like a crystal, Hiranyakashipu says, a crystal absorbs whatever it comes in contact with, so association is like that. So associate with the sadhus, with the saintly minded persons, and you get that support that's there to help us. So that can be done you know, being in the association of the devotees. And Sri Prabhupada says, um, he says you can do that, and he also says, become serious. Somebody asks, like, what can I do to become serious? You know, forget all this running around and all these movements, you know, all these different universes, a lifetime. What can I do? How can I be serious? And he says, become serious. You can become serious now. You can become serious right now. You can make yourself a goal that Krishna, I promise, my long-term goal is, I want to be a lover of Krishna. I want to be a servant of the servant of the servant of Krishna. Krishna, I want to be your servant. That's my long-term goal. The short-term goal, we set more immediate goals. What do I do about it? What do I do um, about that long-term goal that I have? I should get a proper social association, right? I should um, step by step, you know, engage in sadhana and all the different practices that are conducive to my achieving my goal. And I should always monitor my progress depending on Guru and Gauranga and the devotees. In that regard, I'm remembering this very beautiful verse. In the Manashiksha by Sr. Das Niswami, uh, Manashiksha, he's addressing his mind. He's addressing his mind and he's saying throughout the book, and he's saying, oh my mind. <laughs> he said, in material life, you are being waylaid by a gang of thugs who are attacking innocent pilgrims. You are being waylaid by them. And you're being strangled by these terrible ropes, these ropes of uh, attachment, lust, fruited endeavor, like we have seen fruited endeavor here. They're trying so hard at the Graham to enjoy. They try and try again, and they come back penniless. They have nothing. They have to start back all over again and reset, and goes on over and over again, Cycle. So. He's addressing the mind and saying, these are like ropes that are in you by, by these different subs. Oh please, my mind, cry out, cry out and beg piteously for the mercy of the devotees of Krishna. And in that way, you will get some help. So that's what we have to do, whether we call ourselves devotee, or non-devotee, or whatever ashram we are in, we are all prone, we are all tempted, and we all fall victim time and time again to enjoying the fruits of our actions, whether we're doing devotional service or whether we're doing fruitive work. And so we become entangled. So Lord Kapila is being very compassionate. He's telling us he's the only one, the Bhagavatam, and God, they're the only ones who are, who are really telling us like it is because they care for us. They love us. You know, like sometimes the children, you want them to listen to you. And you say, what I'm going to tell you now, you might not like it. You might start raining up at me. But nobody else is going to tell you this. I'm going to tell you the raw truth. And that's what Lord Kapila David is doing here. Out of his uh, unlimited compassion. So stop here.
1: If there's any questions or comments. Thank you. I was remembering you were talking about the boundless optimism of the conditioned soul. How they keep you know, going back to the same activities that I've been torturing them for so long. But it's, it's like somebody the outside looking at it. It's, it's either funny or horrifying or a little bit of both. I was remembering Kamsa how Kamsa, you know, had his revelation that he was actually a total demon. He had been murdering his own nephews. He had been imprisoning his own sister. Um, and he realized, this is really wrong. <laughs> I'm really sorry, guys. And they forgave him. And then he went back and then uh, he had his cheerleading team of demons, like, no, you can totally do this. You, you got this. Yeah, it, like, just, just turn around and, you know, Throw him back in jail, and it happens a couple times in the tenth canto with different personalities. You know, I think I think uh, too, doesn't it? He, he he loses his first army to the man, to Krishna, and Krishna doesn't lose a single person. I mean, it's the definition of a curb stomp battle. He just completely gets owned, and he he leaves in just disgrace. And his his friends are like, yeah, you know, it was it was just bad luck. You know the winds are blowing the wrong way, you've got the sun in your eyes, you know, like it's all the dice again, you got this. And it's just like there's no there's no end. There's no end to it. Uh, especially when you have the these these cheerleaders of lust and anger and greed and other you know don't persons who just kind of want to live through your own nonsense. So I was thinking about how we're living in a world where 99% of the living entities are uh, on the side of, of roll the dice again and see if they can if they can win you know go into the casino and see if they can take it down and so we have if we don't actually have devotees on our side there's the, every other every voice coming at us is going to be telling us to try and you know walk right back and put our money on the table and double down on, on some some loss some losing proposition because it's, it's impossible not to you know, why wouldn't because they want that they all want that everybody wants that it's the whole program so It just reminded me of uh, how dependent we are. Otherwise, we're just Durasanda, we're Kamsa, you know. You can have your realization, but if you have like a bunch of fools as your cabinet ministers, they're going to just take you right back to hell.
0: Thank you. Nice examples. Just shows the importance of having proper um, association. Anyone else?
2: Thank you. So I was thinking also of uh, some of the outreach and uh, responsibilities of the grahastas um, as you were speaking um, about them and how the different ashrams have their responsibilities. And uh, it's really nice how Krishna arranged the varnashram system so that everybody progresses. And so the, of course the householder is responsible to feed anybody <laughs> that's hungry. And um, also to support the other ashrams because they're renowned, so uh, householders and should be uh, financially uh, supporting in the temple and the temple community and, um, and the uh, brahmacharis, the uh, vanakras and sannyasis. They can, they can actually be of support to them, like financially, they can be of support in so many different ways. Um, taking care of uh, uh, the community, so to speak. So that's a pretty big responsibility. S- but uh, yet, at the same time, um, it's a uh, razor's edge, too, like you are saying. So thank you. Nice class.
0: Thank you, Najor. I was thinking, um, yeah, with regard to giving and charity, as you were saying, sometimes one can. Um, See, am making the of thinking, again, I'm pure, uh, I'm so generous, and so on, and take the credit for oneself, because one loses focus, loses the goal, so that's why it's so important to be an association of those who are following nicely. Thank you. Mm-hmm.
3: I appreciate the point you made about the different ashrams and how the renounced orders are meant to give to society. So there's a really nice reference here in light of the Bhagavad that is right in line with what you were speaking. Um, so I'll just read part of this two paragraphs here. In this way, every member of society was given a chance to retire for a higher order of spiritual culture, and the householders neglected no one. The brahmacharis, vanaprasis, and sannyasis all curtailed their necessities to the minimum, and therefore no one would begrudge maintaining them in the bare necessities of life. In Kali Yuga, however, the entire system has gone topsy-turvy. The student lives in luxury at the expense of the father or father-in-law. When the educated, indulgent student becomes a householder by the strength of university degrees, he requires money by all means for all kinds of bodily comfort, and therefore he cannot spare even a penny for the so-called vana Prasas and sannyasis. The vana and sannyasis nowadays are those who are unsuccessful in family life. Thus, the so-called sannyasis try to construct another home in the name of sannyas ashram, and glide down into all sorts of luxury at the expense of others. So all these varnas and ashrams have now become so many transcendental frauds. But that does not mean that there is no reality in them. One should not conclude that there is no good money simply because one has met with counterfeit coins. The sannyasa ashram is meant for complete freedom from all anxieties, and it is meant for uplifting the fallen souls who emerge in materialism. But unless the sannyasi is freed from all cares and anxieties, like a white cloud, it is difficult for him to do anything good for society. So I thought that just kind of yes. supported some of the p- points you were making
0: about grahasta. And, and, and the it's nice wonderful speakers. because, you know, superficially looking at the world standard, the worldly standard, we, we might think, well, everything's fine little next extent, especially if we're lazy, you know, but we don't want to look deeper. But Srimad Bhagatam, Krishna and Srimad Bhagatam and all the devotees, they're saying, Examine everything carefully. You know, that's what you have your intelligence for. And you can see, go deeper, take a more piercing look into things and see see them for what they really are. And They, they help and guide us, the scripture, Shastra, Guru Saddam Shastra, they guide us. Out. Take a, a deeper look, don't be lazy. Make the effort, you have all these goals, you want to achieve in Krishna consciousness? Be patient, take your time. You know, go deeper. Um, You know, just just go and see what's the stark reality behind it. So yeah, this is amazing. There's no other literature, there's no other knowledge in the world that can surpass this knowledge because it's really showing us what's the reality of the situation. And if we always go back and refresh ourselves with this information, then we can always recall it and apply it in our daily life. So it's so important that we have that refreshing, that ongoing, you know, perusal of scripture. Otherwise, carry the brains. We do tend to forget. Thank you for that. Anything else? reflection? If not, I guess we can end here. Thank you very much. Shuna Bhagavatam Ki Jaya. Shuna Prabhupada Ki Jaya. Gitae
3: Go Prenan